0: So it was quite a challenge for me because the clinic was next to my, right next to my college and next to my high school, like literally just across the road. And so all my teachers and my peers, thousands of them (laughs) were literally across the road from me. And so I was like, oh my gosh, God, you're not asking me to do this, are you? So I literally just joined my parents, joined Andy and just stood outside the clinic showing the reality of abortion. And that was the start of my pro-life journey.
1: All right, folks, welcome back to Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, a special series of the Pro-Life Guys podcast where we explore the lives of the defenders of the defenseless We highlight the incredible lives of the courageous women and men who are working tirelessly to defend the weakest and most vulnerable members of the human family. We think that it's important for us to tell our own story in the pro-life movement. We are, we are told so often what to believe about the pro-life movement by a secular media. And it's time that we take on telling our own story. And I'm really excited today because we are joined by a very, very special friend and guest, Ashling Goodison. Welcome, Ashling. How are you?
0: I'm very well. Thank you for having me on, Pam. It's so good to be here with you.
1: It is a joy to have you back on. It has been almost 10 years since I first met you back in 2013. I guess eight years, we'll call it that. But that has been
0: sound beautiful.
1: Always... Oh, oh, at least you have all of your natural hair color, right? or at least I'm assuming it's natural. I, I've embraced gray a long time ago. But I digress. We're excited. You are the Director of Training and Operations, I believe, for CBR UK over across the pond. Um, and before we dive into your work with CBR UK and kind of how you got involved in the pro-life movement, I'd love to just hear a little bit about who is Ashlyn Goodison. What are your, what are you all about to prove to our audience that people in the pro-life movement are somewhat normal, not completely normal, (laughs) but somewhat normal that this isn't the only thing that we do with our lives. Unless it is the only thing that you do with your life. Tell (laughs) us a little bit about yourself.
0: Oh my goodness, gosh, where do I start? So um I wouldn't say I'm entirely normal. Um, so I've grown up in a large family in the UK. So I'm from Brighton, down on the coast. Um, so I'm one of eight kids. Um, big Christian family. Um, yeah, so I guess I guess I have had a pretty normal life with with you know, me and my siblings with, with dancers. Well I'm I'm not really a dancer at the moment. I'm quite heavily pregnant right now, which is another cool cool thing um, I'm <laughs> no, very exciting um so yeah i love to dance music i'm i've got a, an amazing husband i've been married for two and a half years now so yeah expecting our first baby which is very exciting um so yeah there's a little bit about my life yeah
1: very cool. I wish you all of the joys of parenthood. My daughter is 14 months old now. It has been an absolute whirlwind of a blast. Of, She's a very emotional baby. She has very high highs and, and a few very low lows. And so I wish you all the joys of of parenting. Um, and congratulations to you and your husband. Thanks. So let's dive into it. Let's talk a little bit about how you got involved in the pro-life movement. You work full-time in the movement right now. Is this something that you always dreamed of doing? Is this something that came on your horizon in high school, in college? Tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in the pro-life movement.
0: Right. So I have always been part of a pro-life family, um, but... I don't really think, we, we didn't really talk about abortion, I guess like most people it was quite, you know, you heard about it a little bit in your RA classes at school, but then there's a wonderful lady, who I'm sure you're very familiar with, Stephanie Gray, came to the UK and um, my mum said to me, oh there's this pro-life lady, she's going to give a talk down the, you know, down the road from my house um, at a little church, and my mum had given out thousands of these um, invitations, flyers, because she was like, this is going to be amazing, let's just go and I was like, well, pro-life talk, what's that about? I was about 15 at the time. And um, so, yeah, I went to hear this presentation. And she showed within the presentation a video of an abortion procedure. And um, every word that she spoke, if, if you're not familiar with Stephanie Gray, you should be. So get familiar with her. Just go and watch some of her stuff on YouTube or, or on her website. Um but yes, yeah, so she she gave this incredible presentation, and every every word that she spoke just hit me in my chest, and um, just made me realize I could no longer do nothing about abortion. I had to do something, um, and what was just forming in the very early stages was uh, CBR UK, <clears throat> and um, so the the then I think it was a carpenter at the time, Andy, who's now the CEO for CBR UK, he was like, well, I'm gonna stand outside um, our local abortion clinic in Brighton, and I'm just gonna show the reality of abortion. Does anyone want to join me? And so that was quite a challenge for me because the clinic was next to my, right next to my college and next to my high school, like literally just across the road. And so all my teachers and my peers, thousands of them (laughs) were literally across the road from me. And so I was like, oh my gosh, God, you're not asking me to do this, are you? So I literally just joined my parents, joined Andy, and just stood outside the clinic showing the reality of abortion. And that was the start of my pro-life journey. Um, I don't know how much more you want at this point. I guess I guess that led on to, um, that led on to after three years of like volunteering twice a week, just going outside the clinic, um, not having any of the communication skills, literally just standing there. Um, I decided to do the Genocide Awareness Project in Florida, which is where they show massive (laughs) graphic images of abortion, comparing it to past genocides at the University campus in, in Florida. And so I went there and I think UCCBR were leading, leading the Genocide Awareness Project there. And it was the most incredible experience of my life. I just couldn't believe how simple the training was, how simple it was to articulate the pro-life message and how quick it was for people to change their minds on campus. Um, and I would say probably about 90% of the conversations that I had, I saw complete U-turns and I was just shocked at how simple it was Um and how quick, quick people changed their minds, that the, the arguments were so shallow, so I was like, "Wow, this is amazing." And that then led me on a month later to travel to Canada and have you wonderful Cameron, as my mentor <laughs> and uh, and to receive the incredible training with with CCBR um, in in you know pro-life activism, apologetics, everything for three and a half months. so that was that was the start of my journey. yeah. So I was about, I guess that was taking me to the age of 20 there. So back 2013. Yeah.
1: <laughs> very cool. I I often, I mean, my story is very similar. I've shared my story on a number of occasions about the, the exact same process. Stephanie Gray Connors came to my university, showed the reality of what abortion did. I went down to Florida to do the genocide awareness project, realized just how effective the conversations could be, especially when coupled with the images did the internship now working full-time. And so the textbook route to working full-time in the pro-life movement, <laughs> Stephanie Gray and abortion victim photography. Yeah.
0: That's it, isn't it?
1: She really is such a, an influential person in the pro-life movement. If, if you want to check out more about her, the pro-life guys did an interview with her a couple of weeks ago. Um, and so check that out on our website. And since then, so Ashling, you, you come to Canada, you do the internship back in 2013. That was the first year I ever ran the internship. And so um, I, I'd like to say if you thought that was good, you should come back now because it has changed um, a million percent. Alex van der Bruenhorst, my colleague, does a, a phenomenal job. But since then, so you come back from Canada, you get back involved with CBR UK. Did you get directly involved working full time? Was that a bit of a journey towards? working for cbr uk or or what was that like kind of coming back from canada with all of these new skills and new ideas and kind of returning to a group that you've been involved with for like you said a couple of years before you came here um what was that like and how did you kind of integrate some of the ideas that you had experienced here in canada into the uk
0: so i would describe ccbr at the time as a, a real intensive boot camp of like All the pro-life, you know, activism, everything was very intense from the activism, from the studying, from the social form history. Everything was it was incredible. I mean, um, so so coming back, it was it was very different because we were at a different place as an organization in the UK. So we were in the very early stages. And um, so we, we weren't we didn't have a we probably had two full time employed people. On staff, and so I came back and just started volunteering. Um, my time, uh, pretty much full time. I think, yeah, I just started volunteering, um, and and that was the point actually where um, the court case that I was involved in a court case. Um, so, I, <laughs> so I'd obviously come back with all this knowledge and wanting to impart it all, um, and then uh, there was and under well I, i'll go into this now actually because it probably makes sense too there was an undercover investigation that was done into nine abortion clinics in the uk to see if sex selection abortions were happening um and it was discovered that two doctors um out of the nine so basically the, the a major national newspaper the daily telegraph went in with camera on them and they and and they videoed inside these surgeries and said look i'm pregnant with a girl i want a boy can have an abortion and two of the nine doctors said that's absolutely fine we don't ask questions you want a termination it's like female infanticide i'll write down you're too young instead um which is it, it breaks our abortion law here in the uk we do have laws against abortion beyond 24 weeks um you're only allowed to have an abortion on under 24 weeks if um are severe mental health issues or uh, if it's going to gravely affect you physically so um and we've reinterpreted mental health to mean everything and anything so the sex selective abortions if you don't if you don't come underneath um within the that exemption of mental health then you fall under um a law called the offenses against the persons act which basically means if you commit an offense against the person in the womb, then you can get penal servitude for life. So you can get life imprisonment. Um, so that the way you escape that is by having an abortion in very specific circumstances. So, so these two doctors came outside that law, came outside the exemptions. And so the Crown Prosecution Service in our country looked into this, there was a police investigation, and they said, there's enough evidence to convict both the doctors, but it's not in the public's best interest to prosecute them. So they when they said that, um, after a year investigation, we, you know, I was talking with my colleagues and, and we were all talking, we were like, hang on a second, this is outrageous. You've just opened the doors to sex selective abortion, someone has to take the case. And I was like, well, I can take the case, why not me? You know, I was very naive. I was 20 years old I was like, Yeah, sure, take a court case, that's gonna be simple. Be over in a month, <laughs> four years later. Literally so naive, (laughs) but it was a very important court case. So that was it. It, I'd um, I'd actually, you know, in the in the few months before that court case happened, um, I I went to a conference, a Christian conference, and I was um, I went to receive prayer from a couple of people who I'd never met before, and one of these ladies said to me, um you're going to be working for the social justice organization defending young people and she said and you're going to be like an esther who goes up before the king on behalf of a people group and it's going to cost you your life and you're going to have to have a lot of courage and bravery to do what you're going to have to do and i was like esther she prevented a genocide you know that's you know if you read about her read about her in the bible you can go and do that for yourself but I was like, "Wow, that's a weird word." And oh, I hope that doesn't mean I'm going to work full time in the pro-life movement. That was not what I wanted to do. Um, But then, when the court case came up, I was taking the Crown Prosecution Service, so it was like a representation of going up before the king. I was. It was Ashley versus the Crown Prosecution Service, so it was it all tied in. And so it really was God ordained this this court case, and through it, there came about. A lot of publicity, a lot of opportunity to speak in the media and advocate on behalf of the unborn. That's where all my skills from the training with CCBR in media training, in um, presenting, all that kind of stuff, I fully utilised them as best as I could, and had the opportunity to speak on on different national uh, news platforms and make the case for the unborn child. So it was, although the court case did, um, it didn't succeed. In fact, it just exposed. Exposed a lot of injustice, a lot of corruption in the system, and actually, that was part of the job of it. It did do a job in platforming this issue and giving and giving a you know the ability to speak up for the unborn child. So that was kind of my um, second baptism of fire into into this work. And so since then, um, that that was a, a four year journey, and I volunteered consistently, pretty much full time throughout that. And then after that, I've been, in, yeah, I'm now employed, which is wonderful. Good <laughs> bread on the table is great, and um, and so yeah, now I'm I'm the head of training and development for CBR UK. So, trying to implement as much as I can of the skills that I've learned as I've gone along, and from what I did with CCBR into into this work in the UK
1: very cool. I I would love to hear more about so many aspects of that. And we'll we'll dive into what you're doing now for CBR UK, a little bit about the work that you guys are doing across Britain and and I'm sure throughout the UK. Um if I could ask just just for the sake of our audience. You say that you took on this court case. Does that mean that I mean to my knowledge, you're not a lawyer per se, but were you making the arguments in court? Were you the spokesperson for the case that was just interacting with the media? What does that really entail being um kind of the point person for this very high profile case in which, like you said, i such a beautiful opportunity to defend the rights of the preborn to put this on such a high level that was probably covered in in mainstream media um very very frequently even if it is a slanted media still being able to have your face there and have your interviews and and comments what does that really entail being the point person of a case like that
0: so so I, i just need to highlight from the start there is an incredible organization called christian concern the christian legal center so they um so we well i you know we got in contact with with them and said um you know how about this case you know, have you, you know, just talked, arranged a meeting and talked through the court case, well, talked through the prosecution and this incredible organization. They represent Christian freedoms constantly in the courts. So they're professional lawyers. Um uh, just the most incredible CEO of that organization, Andrea Williams, she is a fighter. And so she was like, we're doing this, we're behind you. You know, absolutely so they they totally took the burden of the case so i was i was literally the pro-life advocate exactly who i am i was the spokesperson (laughs) but i was not the lawyer i was not the mind behind the the legalities or anything like that that was very much taken on by this organization um totally free of charge they just and they counted the cost massively in this in this work and that's what they do in every single one of their cases they really count the cost they get the supporters on board they fundraise they um they're just amazing and 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 through this case i guess it's created much more of a pro-life culture through this organization as well because they have been tackling the giant head-on really so my my position was very much um woman (laughs) a young woman representing other little females on a woman's rights issue such as um killing girls for being girls so it was a it was a perfect case in a sense to highlight all the because feminists would be against you know sex selective abortions but then if if you're against killing a girl why would you be for killing a child because they're unwanted so it was the perfect kind of opportunity to highlight the hypocrisy um and so and so that's yeah that it was that's that's what my role was yeah
1: Very cool. And I'm sure that you have a ton of very fascinating stories about interactions with the media. I think of a time that I had been invited to do an interview with uh, CBC in Canada, which is kind of the state funded, you could argue it's the propaganda wing of the Canadian government, but um, we won't dive into that issue quite yet. Um, And I remember they invited me there with the pretense of like, hey, we just want to learn about your organization. We want to learn about the work that you're doing. We know that you guys are very passionate and eloquent. Come on in and share a little bit about your organization. I get all done up, ready for the interview. And as soon as the camera starts rolling, the first question, so Cam, why do you think it's important to hand your gory images to six-year-old girls on their way home from school?
0: Yeah.
1: Huh. Uh, not, not quite what I was anticipating. Were you able, through that whole process of interacting with the media, um, were you able to keep on that point of, we are killing baby girls simply because they're baby girls? I'm sure that the media tried to draw you all down all sorts of different rabbit trails but since then what has the response been to sex selective abortions throughout britain has there been follow-up either cultural shift or like you said there um the the legal group that you were working with has become much more pro-life where do you see the ripple effects of that case in britain right now or is it really discernible people's awareness of sex selective abortions happening in the uk
0: I think there definitely has been more of an awareness because we have seen, like the BBC did a whole documentary on sex-selective abortions, I think in 2018, Victoria Derbyshire programme. Um, so it was the, the... That case has been very important, even in terms of the pro-abortion lobby, trying to get abortion um, decriminalised in the UK. So trying to remove it from the criminal code so that doctors aren't prosecuted like the doctors that i prosecuted so the head of bpass which is our largest abortion provider um they've they from my from the case that i did they've been fighting for decrim saying we can't let other doctors basically you know be in the firing line let's protect them so but they hide it as oh we've got to protect women from being Um, from going to jail for having abortions but in reality it's like we've got to protect our businesses from ever being prosecuted so let's just have abortion on demand for every and any reason but we'll cloak it in this euphemism so there has been more of an awareness but I I would say we're in a worse state as a nation than we've ever been um, with the progression of where things are going however I would say that we are seeing as well a within the church there is a movement and there is a a gradual awakening which we also haven't seen before in the UK so there is a both and and it's almost as the darkness is getting darker more yuckiness is being exposed um and people don't want to partner you know people aren't it's like the it's like they're overplaying their hands to an extent people aren't wanting to partner with that so um so yeah I would say it's both yeah both
1: very, very interesting, and and I think that's a great segue into the abortion situation in the UK and the work that you're doing with CBR UK. I, I think it's interesting that Whenever I speak with representatives from all different countries, whether it's Canada, America, um, Britain, countless other communities that I've had the opportunity to speak with, so often the pro-abortion movement just grows in their boldness that they, they present this idea of we just want abortion in these very few select cases. I mean, we've seen it play out in Ireland over the last couple of years here of just these few very, very um, rare cases, the, this Clinton line of safe, legal and rare. And then as soon as they get that, they are expanding further and further. And I find it fascinating that you say that there's this almost Icarus idea of they're they're almost getting too close to the sun on how bold they are um, in trying to push further and further towards abortion on demand. I mean, it's difficult to get any further than we are here in Canada, unfortunately with abortion on demand for all nine months of pregnancy, no reason necessary um, through all stages of pregnancy Tell us a little bit about where Britain is at. I know that abortion was legalized in the UK in 1967, I believe. And my understanding, like you said, is the 24-week um, limit. But you're saying that there's, there's a push to expand that. Can you tell us a little bit about where the laws are in Britain and then where the work that CBR UK, that you're doing as Director of, of Training and Development, um, how you're responding to where things are at in the UK?
0: So, yes, so you're right. So we have the 1967 Abortion Act, um, which is a, if it was taken literally, um, 98% of abortions performed in in the UK would be illegal because it is supposed to come under specifically mental health. Um, that, that was the, you know, when you look at the transcripts of when the act was written, the hands are Um, the intent of the act was for those very, very rare circumstances. And as you know, we, we make those rare circumstances, mental health can mean, oh, I just want to go on holiday or I just want to, you know, I want a beach body. I, I want a boy, you know, we've expanded that to be whatever, whatever, you know, the woman wants, um but at this point so so when um the the biggest change to not our law but the interpretation of our law came about last march um where basically because of covid-19 the abortion lobby pushed in their agenda which they've been seeking to do for a very long period of time to redefine the place in which someone can have an abortion so it's always been in a hosp- in a hospital or a clinic or in a a, a, a medical center or somewhere approved by the health secretary and so in yeah so last year in march they the pressure mounted on the health secretary to redefine the approved premises and they re- redefined it to be the home which has meant that uh, we've we've had the door open to DIY home abortions so the abortion rate has Um, gone up by quite a significant percentage we've had more abortions this year than we've ever had in in the UK Um, as a result there have been 52 cases where uh, more much more than 52 but on record of um, pills being sent out so these abortion pills being sent out to women after a 29 minute phone call Um, they just get a pack in the post and do their own abortion at home and so we've had Um, It's only allowed legally up to 10 weeks, but 52 cases where it's gone past 10 weeks, two women have died um, from taking the pills, hemorrhaging at home, or one died in hospital. Um, There's been a massive, um, uh, just just so much, um, uh, yeah, just a lot has happened because of these terrible laws. Not just, obviously, for the unborn child, we've got thousands, hundreds of thousands of babies in our sewers, and we've got, uh, you know, so it's obviously horrific for the unborn child and we know that as well and it's but it but it is a equally well not equally but it is very horrific for women as well that they're just being so deceived there's so much fear and they're just getting the pills taking them without any consultation without a scan without any medical oversight and many of them being coerced or you know it just opens the doors for everything and so that's what we've seen in this past year is that push now they're trying to make that permanent that was only supposed to be a temporary covid measure and now the consultation is happening um to make that a permanent part of uk law so so that's the that's the consultation at the moment so as a response to that um cbr uk um, launched a campaign called hancock's healthcare where we specifically targeted um uh, Matt Hancock, well, well, we specifically went to his constituency uh, and we, we went outside outside Parliament, Downing Street, the Department of Health, and we took banners showing Matt Hancock's face next to a woman who's hemorrhaging, next to a baby who's uh, been, been killed by abortion, next to a baby um, being eaten by sewer rats. Um, and basically saying, um, you know, just using his words, pregnancy remains, flushed down toilet, uh hancock's healthcare with a thumbs up you know just to just to start getting the public to really question look what's happened and the response was amazing you know the response was was crazy like in his constituency we had a lady come up to us looked at the banners and was like yeah my daughter she took the pills not too long ago i had no idea she took the pills and she um she hemorrhaged and she would have died if i hadn't have um you know, found her basically. So, oh my gosh, yeah, this is outrageous. This is outrageous. So, there's a lot of common ground, and I don't think people are happy at all with with the situation. So, yeah, we've got that consultation happening now, and as well as that, we're also really working on the vaccination information that's coming out about the use for aborted babies, fetal cell lines in in vaccines. So that's another campaign that we're working on at the moment to to uh, to expose. Uh, to get people talking about it because actually no one in the uk as far as we can see we've only seen one response um against the use of of fetal cell lines from the church or from from people so there's a general acceptance of of fetal cell lines within vaccines so that's something else that we're doing but yeah that's the (laughs) that's the short answer to your question or or the slightly long-winded so (laughs) but that's that's kind of where we are so we just launch campaigns and and do whatever we can to, to speak on behalf of the vulnerable in these situations.
1: Gotcha. And, and I think it's incredible the work that you're doing, as you said, it, it's devastating to see this uh, continued deterioration of society. And, and it blows my mind. I'm sure that it blows your guys' mind too. When you realize that now it's tragically, there's countless more children who are being killed by abortion through these abortion pills and, and you wonder as well if this is going to be another breaking point for the abortion industry as people come face to face with their own children who have been killed. As they deliver their children into their toilets, into their bathtubs, um, we we talk about how, and, and it's it's very obvious, how diligent the abortion industry is in preventing women from seeing their offspring. The, that this idea of connecting with their child, any kind of burial, any kind of dignity to the children after they've been killed by abortion is is absolutely out of the picture and yet now i wonder if this will start to provoke a little bit of a response in the minds of these mothers and and society as a whole as they finally start to come face to face with um their their own children in their own homes, sort of thing i i hope and i pray and I'm, I'm sure you guys are are doing so as well as you do all of your incredible work to raise public awareness to this cause because like you mentioned Yes, it's the preborn children who are first and foremost the victims of this, but th- this is not a good situation for mothers um, whatsoever. You mentioned the hemorrhaging. You can only imagine the mental health crisis that is legitimately happening after people come, like I said, face-to-face with their offspring. And... And certainly the dark days now in UK, dark days around the world, as more and more countries not only adopt the abortion pill um to be taken at home. I know that in Canada that's been embraced for the last couple of years now. And in the midst of all of that darkness, in the midst of all of this darkness, are we just suckers for punishment? We just desperately um want to be surrounded by darkness in in everything that we do. Or or tell me a little bit about. So you you've been working full-time the movement for five, six years now, why do you stick around? Like if, if there's so much darkness, if there's so much negativity, and, and I ask myself the same question constantly, like, why do I put myself through this? What, what is it that that motivates you day after day to come back, to defend the voiceless, to um, do something that I'm sure isn't popular as you share at dinner parties and block parties, as you have your mm-hmm. summer barbecues outside of COVID-19 yep. years. I'm sure that this isn't the most comfortable job that you could be doing. Why Why do you stick around? Tell us why it is that you remain steadfast in your commitment to defending the, the weak and the vulnerable.
0: Oh, there's that's quite a loaded question because there's a few answers to that. There's the spiritual answer. <laughs> and then there's the so, – so there's two answers. First and foremost, spiritually, um, out of obedience – you know, if you look at the Bible, we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if I was in the situation where I can defend myself, I'd want someone to defend me. So first and foremost, I'm accountable before God, before uh, as to what I do with the time that He's given me and the call that He's placed on my life. And so, um and because I love Him and because I love His kids, I'm compelled. And 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 I think we can we can often be. um we can often base our success rate on the things that we see happen as opposed to our our success rate being our obedience um and so i really i've really had to baffle with that because looking at the darkness you can get so low and you can get depressed and feel like i'm fighting so hard and in my own strength and look we're fighting to end abortion and and it's getting worse, and I'm failing, and you can take that on yourself, but actually, it's not my responsibility at the end of the day, it's not my job to end abortion, I can't carry that burden, and when I've tried to, it's been far too great to bear, but I can do my job today, I can stand up for that one, and I can keep standing up for the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and I will see life saved, and I do totally believe in the strategy. So that that is the kind of spiritual aspects, and then in the practical strategic aspect. If, if uh, your listeners aren't aware of social reform history, uh, I think just keep listening to your podcasts, obviously, and and if you can get as connected as possible as you can to CCBR and um, learn about you know social reform history because the strategy that is adopted by CBR UK, CCBR, the CBR family is grounded in um, the success of the history of social reform, proven and tested strategies which work to shift public opinion to change policy. Um, So I am confident as well in that strategy. And I can see that if if we continue to have people who are brave, who are dedicated to risk their reputations, risk their their friendships, their resources, their lives, you know, for the sake of another, then we will see change. And you don't need to have a huge amount of people to do it. You just need that tipping point. You just need a few brave people who say, yes, I'm going to be willing to lay down my life. Yes, I'm going to be willing to to whatever it is. For me, it was doing the court case. For you, it might be go outside your local abortion, you know, as close as you can. I don't know what it is in Canada at the moment, but go outside the closest clinic to you. Stop for that one person, you know, um, educate, postcard, do displays, whatever it is, start educating. And and if enough of us do that and we reach that tipping point, we can see the culture shift. So it just takes just takes a yes, a simple yes. <laughs> so that's what I would say.
1: Bingo, I'm so glad that you coupled those two reasons together, because I feel like so often we kind of undulate back and forth between the two of the number of times I've myself thought, and I've talked to other people who say, oh, are Responsibility isn't to be successful. It's only to be faithful. Success isn't isn't a factor that we need to be concerned about. We just need to be faithful. And on the opposite end, we have this idea of we just need to be successful. We need to do. We need to save babies. And if we're not saving babies, then we need to constantly be changing our strategies to try to find um, the most effective one. And obviously, we should be trying to find the most effective strategies. But I love how you couple those two sources of motivation together that yes as christians we absolutely are not only invited but compelled Mm -hmm. by christ to like you said defend the widow and the orphan defend the marginalized i I think often of proverbs 24 11 and 12 of of protecting those who are being dragged away to the slaughter and does not he who weighs the heart know whether or not you responded that while i don't think that the the best motivation for involvement in the pro-life movement is fear of judgment because we all rely on christ mercy anyways um regardless of how how involved or not involved we are we are compelled to do what we can and so as we wrap up here you're in the uk Tell us a little bit about, if, if we have listeners in the UK, I mean, we're going to be sharing this all over the place, and and there are listeners that, that follow the show from the UK. How do they get involved with CBR UK? How do they get training? How do they get connected with life-saving projects that you guys are doing um, in their hometowns across the country?
0: excellent so easiest way to do it cbruk.org is our website cbruk.org so hopefully you can show a little (laughs) thing with that on there and um and sign up to our mailing list so that's the first thing that you can do and you can hear about what we're doing look through the websites we've got there's lots of different things you can do you can join a team you can sign up to uh, receive our newsletter you can get trained with us so we've got online training videos in apologetics um, in social reform so so the website is a wonderful resource center for you so go there and you can get connected to us there also on facebook cbr uk twitter instagram so just like uh, uh, like us on those pages and, and start sharing that information and uh, we have some wonderful projects as a part of the organization we've got breath which is specifically aimed at the church engage in the church so you can connect and if you're a christian um, and and get that connection going with dave brennan you can you can access um our church project through there we've got pace which is post-abortion support for everyone which is another project hope which is about um caring for women who are in unexpected pregnancies and helping them walk through those pregnancies Um, so We've got a broad, you know, we've got schools project, we've got students projects. There's lots of wonderful ways for you to get involved. And and so just get to the website, have a look on there. And, and we really want to connect with you. So please do do that.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ashling. It's been a joy to have you on. It is so inspiring to hear about your journey becoming a full-time member of the world's pro-life movement, that we need more and more people working full-time in the movement. I'm, I'm sure that the the quote from Greg Cunningham found its way to you as well, that there's more people working full-time to kill babies through abortion than there are working full-time to save babies. I'm so glad that you have answered the call and that you have found yourself in a role where you're able to empower and equip people so they too can join in this fight for the lives of the weakest and most vulnerable. Thank you so, so much for joining and I hope that all you folks in the UK um, are able to connect with CBR UK. They're doing wonderful work over there across the pond from us here in Canada. Um, Love working with them and excited to see the continued growth of the pro-life movement in the UK. Thanks so much, Ashley.
0: Thank you so much. God bless
1: and for those of you who are new to the show please check out our other content we've mentioned it a few times check out the pro-life guys podcast on youtube and all your favorite podcast catchers check out our new um series that we're doing now called the pulse in which we kind of round up all of the important and interesting news happening around the world within the realm of the pro-life cause and and try to give you a, a holistic look of the good the bad and the ugly that's happening around the world and how you can be involved in ending our time thanks so much and hope uh, that you're able to tune in next episode